Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech beat UVA 10 to nothing and has finished the season 9-3. I could not be happier. Robbie, give us a cheers. I got to go cheers to 14 straight. Guys went out there, they pulled together, a lot of injuries, and they still made it happen. Uh, dominating performance for the defense, and the offense got it done on, on what they needed to do. So couldn't be happier in taking down UVA again 14 years in a row. And I was... Um, I guess I was in college the last time UVA won, but just barely. Like, barely. I think it was we just were, We were both by. in there. <laughs> Shows our age a bit. But yeah, 14 years in a row. It's amazing, man. Yeah, cheers to that. Cheers. What a performance by the defense. We're going to go over it. Uh, in great detail in just a moment here, but because of the win, Virginia Tech has moved up to 22 in the AP poll, and they should move up to at least 23 in the committee rankings. They come out tomorrow night uh, because Boise and South Carolina both lost, and they were the two teams directly in front of us. So hopefully we'll get a couple spots uh, higher up in that one. In the Massey composite, we're number 16, which is kind of nice to see. And then Sagarin had us at 17. And last week, we dropped nine spots in the S&P Plus. This week, we moved back up those exact nine same spots, and we're at 24. So I guess those teams are just super tightly packed at the back end of the top 25 and into the 30s because uh, we're right back in the top 25 again on the S&P Plus. Yeah, and our defense now on S&P Plus is number six. Which is That's crazy, insanely good because that takes into account a lot more. Obviously, scoring defense, given the teams that we've played, we're going to be you know pretty high. We've pitched three shutouts, but we're still we're number three in scoring defense, number six in the S and P plus, which is uh, stellar. Uh, is the best you could put it because it takes into account your opponents as well. Yeah, and when we played against the better teams. It wasn't so much that the defense let us down in those slightly lopsided losses against Miami and Clemson. It was that the offense just couldn't give the defense any kind of break. And yeah, the defense had the big play problems, but it is one of the best defenses we've seen for this school in a long time. And we're going to talk about next year a little bit later because it could get even better. The All-ACC teams were announced today. And we had four on the first team, which is a little surprising. Cam Phillips, that seems like a logical choice. Wyatt Teller, Tremaine Edmonds, and Greg Stroman all made first team. And I think it was the first time we had four guys on first team since 2007. Yeah, I think it's been a while. I'd seen a couple numbers around 2009, 2007, but it's been it's been a while. And hats off to, to those guys as well as the uh, the other people that made the list. Yeah, we had Timmy on the second team, Motuapuaka, and then we had Terrell Edmonds on third team. Gallo, Ricky Walker, and Stroman as a punt returner all made honorable mention. And we should also note that Tremaine Edmonds, right after last week's podcast, was nominated for the Butkus Award, which is the best linebacker in college football. I don't think he'll win, but his late season surge has been incredible. He's up to 14 tackles for loss now, so he he'll have a... 
he'll have a say in it. Uh, Micah Kaiser is also there. Some of the other big names at linebacker from around the country are all nominated. Unlikely win, but it's it's nice for Tremaine to be nominated. Yeah, I thought the most surprising was, granted, it, it, at the de- defensive tackle spot, you got a lot of bodies going in there. I mean, you look at what Clemson is putting out on the field. Okay, yeah, it goes but on and on. Ricky, I thought... You know, Tim Settle had a great year, no doubt. I mean, let's not taking anything away from him. But on watching the film, Ricky Walker, I was almost surprised. I think those two could have been flip flopped. You know what I mean? The, you the could, stats. yeah. Yeah. And uh, I haven't compared their full year stats because let's be honest, the people voting on this, that's really a lot of times what they're going by. They're not watching every single game and looking how influential because if so, you know, Ricky, I think, should have been up there just as much as Settle because he's been influential. And even though his stats, um, again, I haven't looked at the full year because I've been still paying attention game by game, um, but he's been influential to what that 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 interior has been able to do. Yeah, Tim has better stats. He has 12 tackles for loss and was second only behind Tremaine. But Ricky, his stats came on late in the season. But his performance has been amazing all throughout the year. And you're right. The guys that are voting on this tend to just look at the stat sheet and, and you know, put the people in that order. But you're, Ricky could have been second team. He could have been first team. Uh, but he, he's a great player. And those two guys this year, man, they did, they did so well for us inside. The basketball team won last Saturday. And it sets the stage for a big week this week. We have Iowa and the ACC Big Ten Challenge on Tuesday night and then Ole Miss on Saturday on the road. Iowa is coming in 66th in Ken Palm and 80th in Sagarin, and Ole Miss is 56th in Ken Palm and 69th in Sagarin. So these are pretty solid teams. They're top 80, top 75 teams in the country, and if you can win one or both, it would help a lot. Uh, If we lose both, then we kind of know where we'll stand uh, going forward in the season, and it might reduce expectations a little bit, but I at least hope we can pull off the home game against Iowa on Tuesday night. Interesting question for you. So, again, you're the resident expert. So, I guess Buzz came out and said this could be one of the biggest weeks for you know the the program, which I thought was a little bit surprising given the opponents. And I understand that they're both good opponents, but neither of them seem, at least by Ken Palm, all those rankings, it, it, that they're great opponents. And just wondering your thoughts on on that in particular, especially considering what we have coming up after that, which is, you know, the huge, huge, um, you know, Kentucky game and some of those things. Uh, what are your thoughts on why he would think this week's that important? I think it's because we've never faced two Power 5 basketball teams in the same week at a conference you're measured by these out-of-conference wins. And later in the year, when you're trying to put together a resume for the NCAA tournament, these are the kind of games that end up being super, super critical to the evaluation process and how you stack up across the nation and not just in the ACC. It may or may not be the biggest week. Coaches tend to like to live in the moment when they're trying to coach their teams up. So I think it's probably just some of that. But it's a big week. There, There's no question. As far as the NCAA tournament goes, like I said, if we get one of these games, it's going to help our resume. If we lose both of them, we're going to be in an uphill battle. That's helpful. Yeah, I mean, it's it's important, but it's it'll be an exciting week altogether because, in, you know, Buzz is, 
high flying offense is what the name of the game is this year. <laughs> we got to hit our shots. If we want to win, we absolutely have to hit our shots in these games. And the last thing I wanted to talk about is just the coaching carousel. Uh, after the Saturday games, college football went crazy. <laughs> we had Dan Mullen going to Florida. Chip Kelly went to UCLA just prior to the weekend. Tennessee and the Greg Schiano debacle. Matt Campbell staying on at Iowa State. That just broke, and you just told me about that. Yeah. Kevin Sumlin crazy out. yesterday. Yeah. And oh, yeah. That, that Kevin Sumlin is now out, which led to uh, probably why it's relevant. We're not going to go through all of it because everybody's heard a million things, but the the Kevin Sumlin one is interesting because there are maybe unsubstantiated, but a ton of rumors about Jimbo giving that a look. And Jimbo has been asked about it um, probably three times that I've seen quotes, and he will not directly address it. And uh, the running joke is when you don't directly address it, at least you're evaluating the potential of it happening. Otherwise, you would just flat out say no, which there are plenty of coaches that have said not interested. We I haven't even looked at that job. We had a brief discussion or I rejected it. Jimbo just said, you know, that I, I, you know, I'm not talking about that. So that in particular, I think is important for us from a recruiting perspective and I know we don't dig deep into you know this this area, but um, the tire fire that's going on in in Tennessee. Anytime that maybe a recruit or two, you know, they don't necessarily have to be a four or five star, can kind of um, open up their recruitment in the future. And I'm not saying today, uh, based on what's happening there, which is not good whatsoever. Um, that could be a boon for us. So I think you know there's a lot going on in the changes. Uh, I did like seeing Matt Campbell, who, you know, there is a chance I saw in one of the lineups that we could be playing Iowa State. So that's kind of, uh, you know, interesting in terms of him just getting his, uh, renewing his contract. I think it's five years to $22.5 million is what he got. So he'll be staying there. He'll be he'll be playing if we did ever play them in a bowl game. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but it was one of the potential things, uh, at least, you know, before. Yeah, I was looking at week. some of the the bowl projections myself and we'll go over that at the end, but Iowa state was on there as potential matchup. Yeah. Just to finish the point on Jimbo Fisher, potentially leaving FSU. If people don't know, that's our first opponent next year. We go down to Tallahassee and open the season, I believe on Labor Day night, that Monday. That's right. So them maybe in a coaching upheaval, you've got Tennessee and how that program's, (laughs) slowly becoming radioactive and when you talk about the recruits that we lose to fsu and we lose to tennessee and the only other two programs i think we lose more recruits to in terms of the big names out of state like guys going out of state would be penn state and unc and penn state they're rolling obviously so we're not going to gain any ground on them necessarily though we did flip dylan rivers from them last year but unc had a terrible year if FSU loses Jimbo and Tennessee continues to, you know, just do what they do, it's just the same old thing at Tennessee and gaffes and screw ups and all kinds of stuff. And this is the weirdest and worst one I can think of at the moment. It's good for us. <laughs> it's yeah. good for our recruiting. Absolutely. All right. I think we are ready to move on to the game recap and, there was not a lot of scoring, so this probably shouldn't take too, too long. <laughs> but 
we came out of the gates running against UVA, and that was the theme of the game. We stalled out on each of our first three drives, but gained about 17 to 20 yards on each one. Finally put up a field goal early in the second quarter, and UVA missed a field goal right before the half. Obviously, that makes it 3-0 at the half. And on the first drive of the third quarter, Reggie Floyd got his helmet on a football, fumble, we recovered it, and took it right down the field. Scored the only TD of the game on the patented 2016 Chris Cunningham end zone play. (laughs) We love that play. That's all he does is score, score, score. It seems to work every time. And honestly, the third quarter has been money for us all year. We've outscored our opponents 110 to 31. That's a 79-point margin. And the next closest is the second quarter at 68, and the first and the fourth quarter aren't even close. Puente and his halftime speeches are just electric. That's that's <laughs> it. I think I honestly think he gives a good halftime speeches. That's gonna be the only thing. Or we just make really good adjustments. I think it's probably that, but I'll just tell myself it's the halftime speeches. So you know by the score of the game that we didn't score any more points after that touchdown. But early in the fourth, we had a fourth and one and we tried a field goal and Johnson missed it from about 32 yards out. And I was a little miffed because I thought that fourth and one seemed like a time that Fuente would go for it. And then we had the end of the game where we seemed to waste some drives with very conservative play calls, but I think they just wanted to, let the defense win the game, and we did, and it was ten to nothing. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And from uh, we'll get into the high level of it, but I think the scheme was to play the game the way that it ended up, and we saw that towards the end. But I'm also not going to back down from being a little bit frustrated against a rival opponent that when when your defense is as dominant and absolutely dominant as that. And it's a it's a rivalry game. At least take a chance at you know shoving it down their throat a little bit and and finishing off the game. But you know I can understand the other side of it is you know the way that we played, um, you know also kept the defense off the field, kept them fresh when they were on the field, and you know you it, it works out that way as well. The streak stayed alive. You hit it right at the beginning. Fourteen straight. What an amazing performance by that defense and just getting this win. After the last four weeks of just the team seemingly just struggling and looking like we're about to lose three games in a row, they get that four-down stop at the goal line and then come out and play like this. It's amazing. And Bud Foster deserves credit. Those guys on the defensive line deserve credit. All the seniors in the back end and Motuapuaka, they all deserve so much credit because we couldn't have won that game if they didn't play the way they did. No, I agree. I think it all starts and stops with the defensive performance. Um, zero points in a road game, third shutout of the season, 191 total yards. 186 of those came through the air, five yards on the ground. Wow. Five yards. Now, people are like, oh, well, they took some losses. Those net out. Okay, take away the losses on that. 33 total yards rushing was what they ended up having. Positive (laughs) yards was what they had, 33. That stat's even more incredible um, than the five yards total. Um, Left them at 50% completion percentage and nine first downs in the whole game. It was um, the the offensive or the defensive line and the linebackers. uh, 
and I said this, uh, I think in response to French when he was talking about it, it looked on the line like a like a small bomb went off every single time. That's how hard our defensive line and defensive ends and linebackers were hitting. Like bodies were just spraying everywhere, which is what you want to see like in that kind of thing. Not and we really thing. hadn't seen it yeah. all year, even against some of the other lesser opponents. Not not like that. Those guys were focused and they were getting off the line of scrimmage and just blowing it up every play. It was seven insane. tackles for loss as a team, four sacks. We talked about Tremaine already. Nine total tackles led the team. Three more tackles for loss in this game, two sacks. Hushan gains two tackles for loss. We had Trevon Hill with that couple of nasty hurries in this one. They were just playing with so much attitude. It it was it was great. And there were so many good moments. Whether it was Kuma's stiff arm and just everyone getting in each other's face. That everyone seems so fired up. And obviously that works better for the defense to play a fired up brand of football than it does for the offense. Cause you got to be calm and you got to stay in rhythm on offense, but the defense played fired up and they played nasty. And it was just awesome to see Ben Kurtz face in the ground so many times. It was awesome. Yeah. And the biggest concern that we had going into the season was the depth at defensive end. And look what happened in this game. Arguably, one of the most important games of the season for us in terms of a game you can't lose. And then you have Belmar going in there and Gaines going in there. And Xavier Burke going in there. And Xavier Burke going in there and playing really well, really sound football. And not only just sound like, oh, they didn't do damage, but aggressive football as well. And like you said, you know, Gaines had the, the sack as well and Ricky Walker had a sack. It was just a beautiful performance for the defense. They also batted so many balls at the line of scrimmage, too. And we hadn't seen that much of that this year. And Ricky almost got himself an interception on one of those batted balls. I was praying for it, that he would be running with that football. He almost got there. Let's move on to the offense and just talk a little bit about the the good stuff, mostly. Because although we only scored 10 points, Josh played a strong game. And the, the rushing attack, again, did what I asked them to do. They got over 150 yards. In fact, they got over 200 yards and 3.8 yards a carry. But I had talked to you this, about this a little earlier. We had that bad snap that was like a 16-yard loss. Take that out, 4.2 yards per carry. So I'll do whatever I can to skew the stats the way I want. <laughs> but 4.2 yards per carry on, on, every, on all the plays that we didn't screw up on, just that one bad snap. And 202 yards rushing on over 50 carries. It was great, and I, I have to believe some of it has to do with the the comeback of Stephen Peoples. Yeah, I was high on Stephen Peoples. We talked about it before the game, actually leading almost immediately up to the game, and uh, I thought that he gave us a a power rush that really changes the dynamic of what we can do. And and if we're rotating people in. It just keeps people on their heels a little bit when somebody can take it up the center and push the pile uh, a little bit more. He and McLeese both had 71 yards. Uh, I know uh, McLeese had uh, less carries. Peoples had more carries. So per carry, McLeese is actually showing very, very well. And he looks mobile. He looks like he knows what he's doing. So, But the running game looks very different it may be not from a statistical perspective that much different but you can tell the defense is starting to when when peoples is in there 
McLeese is in there and, and they're kind of playing off each other. The defense is kind of on their heels a little bit. It's nice. The changeup seems to have an effect because something French said is that the offensive line didn't even play that well in this game. But the defense of UVA was just caught a little off guard. They didn't play very well. And maybe it was because they didn't know exactly what to expect. And we had a couple plays where Peoples and McLeese had wide open sides of the field to run on. And we hadn't seen that in a long time. 37 to 23 time of possession advantage. It, we just dominated the clock. And in the second half, UVA only had it for seven minutes. That rushing attack helped Josh get comfortable. He had his second best QBR of the season in this game. The only game that was better was the 5 TD, 77% completion performance against ECU. So think about how much better his stats were in that game. But yet, this was still his second best QBR of the season. It means that he was playing very efficient football. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... In this game, who who is it a part of and who helped with that? It was Grimsley. I mean, we're I starting to see what Fuente... We talked about it from the preview of this season that Fuente wants to play a lot of wide receivers. Now, he's had to do it a little bit because of requirement, but he got C.J. Carroll back. You know, He's got players back on the field, but he's still putting new people out there and putting them in positions to succeed, and the players are taking advantage of it. And Grimsley, five catches, 56 yards. That jumping catch, which was amazing in the second awesome. quarter when he went up over uh, the defender and caught that ball, that's just exciting. These are people that are coming back the next year or two years from now that are really cutting their teeth, and it's exciting to watch. I was impressed with Grimsley, and you're right. With a night when we didn't have Savoy, because he wasn't on the injury report, but people were talking about it leading up to the game that his hamstring or something was bothering him and he wasn't going to play. For Grimsley to step up like that, it was big for us because Cam couldn't get loose as much. He had the one really nice catch, an important catch in the game, but Grimsley was what got us down the field, and it was awesome you got him you got kuma coming back you got savoy coming back all young freshman receivers that are going to be there for us next year it's exciting and we have to talk about kuma stiff arm now because he threw quinn blanding directly into the turf it was only his one one catch he only had one catch on the night but on that one catch made arguably the best highlight of the game it was absolutely hilarious the tweets afterwards between all the players were pretty funny but I, it was a pretty athletic play, and I, I'll take it one step further. It was only one catch, right? But that's how this works. So last year, if you go back and look at the statistics, and it's on the website, I, I try and put out the number of attempts per like uh, receiver. And if you watch how it trends, it trends sometimes away from people. So Ford starts to reduce over the year because people are starting to key on them, and they're going to play hardcore defense. The question is whether you have other guys that are able to actually step in and make plays. And this offense, two years in a row, have shown that there are receivers that will step in and they're not going to make every catch. They're not going to do great. But Grimsley coming in, Kuma had a great game two games ago. He had another decent game a game ago. You see these players step up, and all it can give you is high hopes for the future of what we can run in the passing game because we're not relying on just two people or three people 
it's it can be a full set of five or six when we get everybody healthy and we start to build some depth in this offense because we're just now getting into the depth portion of this offense going into next year. Did you have any bad things on the game? Uh, inability to sustain drives and get points is a reoccurring concept, but you know we know that, and there's a lot of injuries. I mean, my bad, my bad points are really negated by the fact that there were a lot of people out for this game. I mean, yeah. in key positions and key contributors. Um, I think that you know we went two for five in the red zone. That's never great, and that's that's really it. I, I think we're we're a little bit nipped in the butt with with some injuries. If everybody was on the field, I think the scoring might have been different. But no, I'm happy that we came out with a win. I'm happy that we're we got through the season and you know we ended up about where we expected to be. So no, I don't I don't have that many negatives that I'm concerned about right now, given the injury situation and where those injuries lie on the field. Some miscellaneous things. Cam didn't get to a thousand yards in this game. Was really hoping he'd get to a thousand in the regular season. He is 36 yards short. He's at 964. I would have to assume they're going to try to get him that in the bowl game, wherever we go. And he'll be the second receiver ever to have 1,000 yards, so that will be awesome. And Andrew Brown getting kicked out of the game was kind of sweet justice. Uh, just, I guess because he didn't pick Tex all those years ago. I don't know. But it was it was a bad look what happened with him because he got mad he took a swing at one of our players missed and then like bumped into the ref and then shoved the ref and it was just it was bad yeah that didn't go so well so yeah we'll just leave that as as that so uh yeah hey hey kids at home pick virginia tech (laughs) yeah let's take a quick beer break before we give our final thoughts and talk about some potential bowl matchups Robbie, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking the juice. It's uh, a pale ale American. It's from Peak Organic Brewing Company. It's about 5.8%. Uh, it's a, a pretty good beer. I have it on draft. We hosted Thanksgiving this year, so I needed to have... Uh, good for the, you. Yeah, I had, to have, I had to have the bar down in the basement uh, stocked. It is pretty good. Um it's obviously it comes off. It doesn't. It's not as hoppy, so it's a little bit uh, softer. It has a nice flavor. I guess it's kind of you can. There's supposed to be some tangerine and berry in there that you can kind of you taste. It's a little bit on the weak side, and, and whether that would be more malty, and if you want to go a little bit more on the pale ale side, or if you want to you know kind of kick it up with the hops. For me, it's always going to be a little uh, under hopped. Uh, I think it's pretty good. It's about five point eight percent. I would not uh, order a keg of it in my basement again because uh, that's that's going to end up being a lot of beer for me after Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's just a sixth all. It's not a full keg. So I got gotcha. you. I'm having the Revival Brewing You Thirsty. There's a question mark on the end of that. It's a New England style India Pale Ale, and uh, it's good. It's one of those New Englands that it's cloudy, but not too, too cloudy, but there is a good amount of sediment in there. Like I can see it on the bottom of my glass and the beer is not very old. It's just kind of the style of the beer. It's from Providence, Rhode Island. I 
was given this by my girlfriend's sister. She lives up there and she really likes this brewery, so they brought some beer down for Thanksgiving. Revival Brewing Company. I had never heard of it. They have pretty good distribution, though. And this beer, it's a little on the bitter side. 65 IBUs, 6.5 ABV, which is right in my wheelhouse. I'd prefer it to just be a little less bitter, but ultimately it's a good solid beer, and I think you would really like it, Robbie. The You Thirsty by Revival Brewing Company. We had talked earlier about how much emotion the guys seem to be playing with, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, and I was just so impressed with that considering – how that pick game ended because it was an emotional win and the most emotional win we've had in a long time, a a win at the gun that hasn't happened in a very long time. And the fact that there was no letdown, I was so impressed with they at year in year out coaching staffs. It doesn't matter. We just come ready to play for UVA and it's a credit to our coaches, a credit to the players. I don't know what they do, what they say in the locker room before the UVA game, but it works. It's worked 14 years in a row. And to finish 9-3 and three with such a young team, I couldn't be more proud, man. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to just Bud Foster knows what he's seeing every year. He studies more film for this game than he does for every other one. He really just spends a lot of time and effort making sure that we're prepped for this game. And that's not to say that he doesn't for every other game, but... He takes it to heart. I think, you know, of anybody on the team, you know, maybe Wiles, but of anybody on the team, really, other other than that, I think um, he knows what this means to the fan base and knows that he has to come out there and put a defense that's going to put a W out there. And he finds ways to inspire the players to care about a rivalry that they really probably wouldn't care about otherwise. Yeah, let's go over some of our defensive stats just from a national rankings perspective. You mentioned the scoring defense, which is third in the nation, but we ended up first in opponent completion percentage, second in third down conversion rate, fourth in havoc rate, sixth in the S&P plus, 12th in tackles for loss, 12th in yards per rush, 15th in rush uh, D S&P, and then 18th in yards per play. This, no matter how you cut it, you can look at almost every stat in the defensive gamut of stats and we are a top 20 top 10 top 5 team it's it's unbelievable how many areas we were good in the only weakness we had was giving up the occasional big damaging play yeah and that's something that as virginia tech fans with bud foster as our coordinator we kind of have to live with that because he plays a brand of defense that allows you to put up stats like that but occasionally you have put guys on an island, they're going to get behind you. Yeah, I mean, that's just the way it's it's always been a, you know, it, it, for us it's been almost a break but don't bend defense. And I know that's very counterintuitive to what a lot of people <laughs> think, but it pays off. We, I mean, he, it does. The way that he runs his defense, look at the scoring this year. I mean, even in the games, our highest scoring in any game – this year, again, I'm going off the top of my head, I think it was 36 points. Uh, generally, we kept people under 30. Gen- more than that, people were right around 24 or less points in every single game. That's where you want to be, right? If Fuente had to pick a place to go, you know, coach an offensive team in the nation, 
he wants to go somewhere that most teams are playing them at around 24 points or less in the nation or in any game. That's all you can ask for. I mean, it's it's perfect. And on the heels of that coaching carousel conversation we had, why would Fuente want to leave that type of defensive performance? I know we have Hokie fans out there that with every good win and back-to-back nine regu- nine win regular seasons, we're nervous about Fuente potentially leaving. There's rumors about AM. There's rumors about Tennessee, unsubstantiated. And, and you know, when Oklahoma was briefly open, are we going to lose Fuente? He's in a good situation. He has one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. He's paid pretty handsomely to live in Blacksburg, Virginia. He's probably going to get a little bit of a raise. And why would you want to coach in the pressure cooker of the SEC when his job security at VT is just so good right now? If you're worried about Fuente leaving, my suggestion is to just relax. Enjoy that he has the potential to go have – I'm not saying that we will to have two 10 win seasons in a row, which by all accounts, there's another statistic out there. The number of coaches that have spent their first two uh, years at a program and had 10 wins each season, if that does end in fact happen, is extremely rare. Like it's happened twice in the last 10 years type rare. It's incredible what he's done. And a lot of it's because of Bud, especially when you look at this year. It, how many wins do we get if he's not here? It, it's it's really hard to say, but it might be seven. Well, because <laughs> be of the six. offense, if you look what happened, the offensive turnover that occurred, there were games that we were going to stub our foot. But when we stubbed our foot, in a couple of them we lost, but in a couple other games when we stubbed our foot, Bud's defense held it held it together and brought the W. And this might be a good segue to just talk about what's coming back next year. The Edmonds brothers are rumored to both be coming back. I hope that's the case. I hope we don't lose Tim Settle to maybe an early draft entry. There's a little something out there about that, but I don't think it'd be wise for Tim to leave. You have Adonis Alexander, who seems like he wants to play in the NFL as soon as possible, but has had multiple off-the-field issues and might not be ready uh, according to NFL scouts, he might need another year of stats and you know just being a good boy. So if everyone comes back on this defense, Bud has talked about how it could be the best he's ever had. And when the entire D-line returns, you lose a couple of linebackers and a couple of DBs, but the depth we have at those positions, next season could be extremely special on the defensive side of the ball and then all the guys getting a year older on the offense. As long as Josh develops a little bit, it could be a very special season. Well, I mean, Terrell got hurt. So he, I would suspect that he would want to come back just to kind of finish off his stats. That said, he also, you know, finished, you know, tops in the ACC and what he was doing. It was recognized. So, and I could see, I mean, I'm not telling anybody what I could see. Those two are pretty close. I mean, when was the last time you watched? I don't know if you how much you watch it. When was the last time you watched a Snapchat without the two of them on together? I mean, they are extremely close. And I could see them wanting to play another year together, especially since Terrell didn't get to finish off the year, but maybe not. I mean, it's up to them. Ricky, I think it's either 
and somebody had mentioned this, I, I read it somewhere, but I, I think it's a fair point that either keeping Ricky or Tim next year would be important. You know, having one of those two pieces, keeping both would be, I mean, utterly outstanding. But if you have one, then you know, hopefully we can we can keep that interior, um, you know, really tight. And those guys are close too. If you want to talk about their room, guys they were roommates. The team. I mean, right. they, yeah, I mean, you know, Tim Settle said repeatedly that Ricky's like the one that kind of taught him the ropes and what he was doing. So you would suspect if Ricky's staying. Tim's probably going to stay. I don't know. These things tend to happen in bunches. We yeah. saw it last year. Gerard decided to leave because he knew Isaiah and Bucky were leaving and that he was going to have to put his body through hell running the football on a young team, and maybe he decided he didn't want to do it. Or he decided to go first, and the other guys were like, well, now we'll have a freshman quarterback. We want to leave. But these things happen in groups. If you get the Edmonds brothers coming back, I would believe that almost everyone else comes back. Yeah, so I agree. And if everybody comes back, not to, you know, bring this back to the uh lobster claw year back when we <laughs> when we thought everybody was coming back or that actually there were some losses that year, but this would be a extremely extremely talented defense if those pieces came together. And maybe they will, maybe they won't, but um, you know, there there's one good thing if it doesn't go our way and a lot of these guys um, do end up moving on, which I hope them the best if they do, Bud's going to figure something out. And it's not going to be maybe a top six defense, but it'll be something good. And hopefully the offense can pick up the slack if that were the case. But me and you are both rooting for, you know, all Hokies on deck for that Florida State game next year. Yeah, that could be good. I hope, I almost hope they, they keep, keep Jimbo. Just so we go in. We can beat him. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, seriously, I mean, well, we'll get into it later. But next season's lining up to be a pretty exciting season for Virginia Tech. If you haven't looked ahead, I suggest now you take some time during this break between bowls. Look ahead to what the schedule is next year and who we have at home, who we have on the road. It's fun. All right. So the bowl destinations. Because Notre Dame lost, it kind of screwed us out of any chance of going to the Citrus Bowl, which I was rooting for just for old time's sake of playing on New Year's Day. That used to be the mark of a truly great season. Uh, That's probably out now. It's not 100% out. You know, bowl committees could surprise us, but it's probably out because when bowls have a chance to choose Notre Dame, they do it because it means more money. So it's looking like, from all the projections I saw, Tax Slayer Bowl seems the most likely. That's the old Gator Bowl in Jacksonville. And that would be versus uh, an SEC team. I saw Mississippi State, uh, South Carolina, and A&M as three different possibilities in the Tax Slayer Bowl. The nice thing about the Tax Slayer Bowl is it's at noon on a Saturday, and that's December 30th. Less likely are both the Camping World Bowl in Orlando, which used to be Russell Athletic Bowl, and the Pinstripe Bowl in New York, which is in Yankee Stadium. (laughs) The Pinstripe Bowl one I saw, that was a projection. It was from Sports Illustrated. They projected us to play Purdue. (laughs) Yeah, the Pinstripe Bowl, if we go into that, then the first thing that I'm going to do is start a, like, just start protesting Notre Dame in every way, shape, form, and substance because Notre Dame's eating up a spot that's taking over yep. that for us. But we can now, go. Do we this. get any cut of their bowl money since they're taking up one of our bowl affiliations? 
again, I always give I, my, I, I give proper, I've tried to give proper uh, throwouts. So somebody replied on the key play to a message board post and said, actually cited the actual language. If they are in a New York, New York six bold, then they do not have to share the money with us. If they are outside of the New York six bowl uh, or New Year's day bowl, then they, they have to share the money with us. I know that's confusing. So New Year's day bowl, they have to share it outside of New Year's day. They don't have to share it. New Year's day, not New Year's six. All right, now I'll go look at what it is. <laughs> point is, I think you mean New Year's six. I think yeah. you mean one of the main six bowls. Right. If they're outside of those main six bowls, which it certainly seems like that's the case, then they will have to share their money and whatever. Yes. But I think that's probably what the case is. So our and a, then, they they wrote it kind of strange, but it depended on whether they were in or out of those. In any case, playing in the Tax Slayer Bowl, not awesome, but better than some of the other years. So we're clawing our way up the balls. If you think about what's been happening. <laughs> yeah. If you think, yeah, that's true. We're slowly moving our way up, which, you know, we kind of brought it upon ourselves. So it's time to work yeah. our way up. It takes time to build the brand back up to a point that the bulls want to invite you to their bowls. And well, if you remember back when we got picked for some bowls that we probably shouldn't have, Right at the end of the fall off and the sugar people, bowl against Michigan. We a lot of people were mad about that. Yeah, people were pissed, but that's what your reputation and you know, having a, a fan base that travels gets you. Right now we just don't have the reputation. We just have a fan base that travels pretty well. That Iowa State matchup you were talking about was in the camping world bowl in Orlando. Because that's against a Big 12 team. So that could be Oklahoma State or Iowa State. And that is a big difference in terms of how I think the games would turn out. Because I think we could play Iowa State tough, but Oklahoma State, that would potentially be a problem. Yeah, that's a big problem. You don't want secondary issues when uh, you go up against somebody like Oklahoma State. All right, let's uh, take a quick beer break before we do our picks and sign off. I am drinking the Road Jam by two roads. The road jam is a raspberry type beer. I don't know if anyone's had it out there, but it's an ale brewed with raspberries and lemongrass. And it's basically pink in color. It's like pink, purple, like jelly, thus road jam. And it's sweet and it's good. 5% alcohol. I would recommend the road jam to anyone. It's good as a change of pace. Have you ever had it? I have never had it. Sounds pretty good. Uh, I am drinking, um, well, technically a beer that you can't actually get unless you're a member, but if you wanted just the regular version of it, you could get it. It's a double barrel-aged barley wine, so now I'm bringing barley wines onto the podcast, so I'm excited. I think I've done it once before. It's from Adroit Theory out in Percival, where my parents uh, used to live. I joined a membership out there, so I, I get uh, like kind of their four times a year bottle release. And this time they took a regular bar- barley wine that they have and they did a double barrel aged uh, version of it. It's it's pretty intense. Uh, it's a, a bomber. You can probably have a glass or two of it at a time, but it's delicious. And more so, the, the brewery is pretty cool. So if you ever make it out to... Uh, really western Loudon in Virginia, 
and you get to stop by uh, Adroit Theory, you can probably have the barley wine. They also distribute pretty well their their barley wine, some of their major beers. And you'll notice them, they all have corks in the top. So they uh, they go over the top in trying to you know market their stuff. So it's called Tenebris is the uh, the actual beer. Sounds good. You'd be proud of me too, because this beer is just the slightest bit tart. Not a sour, but I'm I'm working my way. <laughs> in in fifty more podcasts, we'll have you at a full sour. That's right. That's right. All right, so we have a ton of good games, and I use the AP rankings for this because the college football playoff rankings aren't out yet. But we have four top 10 matchups, according to the AP poll. That has only happened one other time in 80 years. Think about that. (laughs) Four top 10 matchups. So we'll start with some outside the top 10, then work our way up. Stanford playing USC for the Pac-12 title. Stanford's number 14 after beating Notre Dame, and USC is number 11. They had the week off last week. USC is three-point favorites in this one. These Pac-12 games are always hard for me because we just we don't pay as much attention. We try. We never we are just, able to watch them. Dark. Yeah. It's after dark. It is after dark by definition. I'm usually kind of drunk and sleepy by the time I'm watching – Arizona play Arizona State. So it's it's hard for me. Uh, I'm going to take USC. Uh, Stanford has been a mystery for me all year. I n- always pick wrong in my pick em. So I'm going to take USC and probably pick wrong again. I just think because they had the week off and Stanford had to play Notre Dame, I'm going to take USC. I'm going USC as well. I think the, you know, with the quarterback, I think, I think Sam Darnold is starting to get his legs underneath him and – I think they'll end up winning that game. All right. Next game, Memphis playing UCF for the American Conference title. Memphis is number 16, UCF is number 12, and UCF is seven-point favorites. These teams have already played this year, and I think UCF won decidedly. I think it was 38-20. to 20. Yeah. Uh, so UCF is seven-point favorites, also believe they're at home because I don't think they play this at a neutral site. I will check that as you give me your answer for this one. Yeah, this is tough because you. I don't know if you saw the UCF USF game last, which was the most exciting game of last week. It was awesome. That game was unbelievable. UCF is the real deal. I know they're not getting much love by the playoff committee rankings, but yeah, you know, that is a real deal team. Like I think they could give a lot of. Power five teams like in the upper echelon of run for their money, which is disappointing because we will maybe I guess we're going to see in a bowl game, right? Because they're going to be the leading. Well, if they win this, they'll be the leading. They're going to uh, if they yeah whoever wins this game yeah is going to be in a New Year six. But game, Memphis so. has started putting up points too, which is exactly what we saw in the USF game. So I'm more confident in UCF. With the minus seven, they've been able to put up just sick points this year. But this is tough. I would think this game was a pick 'em, but I guess they think that UCF's got it. I'm gonna still gonna go with UCF. Yeah, it's it's in UCF's home stadium, so I'm taking UCF as well. That South Florida game was so awesome last week, one of the best games of the year. And there's this guy number eight for. USF and I tweeted about him a couple of times because it looked like Greg Boone, but 
faster and more dangerous, but with still a fat belly. And he was just killing it for USF, just catching bombs and running them into the end zone. It was awesome. Next game, TCU against Oklahoma. And TCU is number 10, Oklahoma number 2. Oklahoma is 7-point favorites. They beat TCU pretty well earlier in this year as well. I mean, obviously everyone in the Big 12 plays each other. I think that was a two or three touchdown margin. Yeah. Do you know what you don't Oklahoma's do? Oklahoma's been rolling, just rolling. But do you I, know what you don't do? Don't give that? don't give TCU a second look at an offense. And Gary That's Patterson fair. is now getting a second look at the same offense. Nothing's changed. There hasn't been any injuries. There's nobody new on the field. It's still Baker. I'm going to go. I just, Oklahoma could definitely win by a, a field goal, something like that. I gotta, I'm going to go TCU. I think I think our boy Gary is going to figure out a way. When he gets a second look, he's one of the best defensive minds in the country. In fact, him and Bud Foster have communicated many times on defensive schemes from the things that I've read, so I'm going to go with TCU. And that one is being played in Jerry World. It's a, it's a neutral site. They're playing the Cowboys Stadium, so... You might have a point there with Gary getting a second look. It's hard to beat a team twice in a season in college football. The first matchup was that was the 38 to 20. So I'm going to take Oklahoma. I just think they're playing so well. They just had such an easy time with West Virginia, even without Baker Mayfield starting the game. They, they've been killing it. And I, I like Baker. I know people don't like him. Uh, but uh, he's such a good player. So I'm going to take Oklahoma in that one. Next game, SEC Championship in Atlanta. Georgia against Auburn. Georgia's number six, and Auburn is number four after beating Alabama in the Iron Bowl. That was a good game as well. And quite frankly, Auburn Auburn killed them. Like, it, it wasn't as close as the score. You called it. I, I destroyed you in the pick'em last week. By I, I got six right out of eight. You got four right out of eight. But you got this one spot on, which was Auburn taking down Alabama. So now you get to pick this one. Auburn is two and a half point favorites, and I'm going to take them. They beat Georgia pretty good the first time around. I'm, I'm taking all the teams that won the first time around. I, I, I guess it's just why would I, why would I change my mind because all of those margins weren't close. So I'm going to take Auburn. Yeah. I'm going to go Georgia. I'm just, I, I hear your point. My point is also it's incentive for a coach to sit in the locker room and say, Hey, remember when these guys, you know, beat up on you last game and you didn't play very well. So I'll go with Georgia. Oh, I'm excited about this next one. Do you want me to pick first? Well, should we do the ACC last since it's, yeah, it's probably, that probably makes more sense. All right, so we'll do Ohio State playing Wisconsin for the Big Ten title. Ohio State's number eight, and Wisconsin is number three. They finished the regular season undefeated, 12-0. and Big ups to them. This is going to be an interesting game because this is finally a really, really good team that Wisconsin's going to have to play against. They played Michigan, but we know that Michigan isn't that great. Ohio State is elite talented. They've had a couple hiccups, but they are a very, very good football team, and they're favorites by six and a half points. That seems like a lot. I mean, so I think I, I know your pick then. Well, it's 
and this is a tough pick for me for a lot of reasons, um, but I'll go. I think I'm going to go with Wisconsin just oh. because there are times that I call teams. I don't think that they're very good, but they show up and I think they may show up in this game. But honestly, I don't I don't have a feel for this one way or the other. It's really tough. You have undefeated versus a team that's coming off of a big Michigan win. Maybe there's a letdown spot is all I can go with is after the emotion. I mean, there was a lot of emotion in that Michigan game, especially going down two TDs. It was 14 nothing. Maybe there's a letdown spot. I'm taking Wisconsin, too. I just think it's too many. I, Wisconsin keeps plugging guys in on defense. They're getting it done on offense somehow. They're impressive, and people want to write them off because they haven't played anyone. And And I'll be the first to say, if they make the playoff at 13-0, and even with this win, I think they're going to get spanked by whoever the number one seed is. Oh, no, absolutely. But that doesn't... There's no doubt about that. <laughs> I mean, there's if you put this Wisconsin team up against... I mean, if Clemson. I just like, yeah, Clemson, I, I don't Auburn. think that would be a matchup. All, no, Auburn would absolutely manhandle them, even more than Clemson. Just that defense up against that, they would not have any offense. They wouldn't, they wouldn't do anything. And we've seen Ohio State away from home. Their best performance away from home just happened this past week. And like you said, maybe there is a little bit of a letdown. We'll see. But I'm going to take Wisconsin against the six and a half points. And that brings us to the ACC title game. Miami against Clemson. We've been waiting for it for weeks. Miami coming off the upset by the Pitt Panthers, which, I mean, we we could have called this. I, I talked about it on the podcast multiple times that that Pitt game in the last week of the season, they're going to beat them. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter. We both like, picked Pitt, by the way. <laughs> yeah. We both picked Pitt to at least get the spread last week. And they ended up beating Miami outright. Miami fell to seven, and Clemson is now number one. Clemson nine and a half point favorites in this game. This I one's think that's worth a, a little bit many. of a discussion. So let's like think about yeah. like what's happening here. So, I mean, Clemson's defense is really good. I I, I think their de- their defense is definitely better than Miami's. I think Miami has the turnover chain, and everybody wants to point to that. But I, there's no doubt in my mind that Clemson's defense is probably better than Miami's. I don't know what your thoughts are. No, I think they are better, and I think both of these teams play up to the moment. We've seen it with Miami multiple times now. They play incredible at 8 p.m. on primetime. But at noon, they fall behind by two touchdowns to UVA and then lose to Pitt. Clemson, they have been a, you know, until they need to get going, 7-7 against Boston College in the fourth quarter, then they get going. So when both have to be focused, I can't wait to see what happens in this game. It is going to be competitive, and I think 9.5 points is way too many. I'm going to take Miami against the spread. It wouldn't surprise me if they won, but I think Clemson's going to win. I think Clemson's going to... I hate agreeing with you on this one because I wanted to go the other way, but uh, I think Clemson's quarterback situation is going to lead to turnovers, I think, in what's going to happen, and the turnover chain's going to come out for a period of time, and it's going to be important, but I think Miami actually will cover the 9.5. In fact, I think... like. 
like right around seven is the perfect. Like just a touchdown is the but right. But you do number. like Clemson to win. No, Clemson's I think is going to win this game, and yeah, yeah, I think that's what I'm saying. if there was potential for of all the potential of things going awry from that, it would be a Clemson blowout. Like I could see Clemson if I had to go, you know, standard deviations off of what my thoughts are. It leans have more heavily towards Clemson blowing them out than the other way around. Right, but we've seen Miami blow out a really good Notre Dame team this year. I don't think either team's going to blow out either one, but I think either one is possible. Like it is possible once once those turnovers start coming, you know, Miami just starts getting on a roll. Now it's not in Miami, you know, it's in Charlotte. I think that favors Clemson a bit. So that's why I like them to win, among other things. Clemson's got the mentality. Clemson's got the mentality now that they have yeah. after winning the national championship, after everything that they've been through. Dabo, they have the swagger. Like they have the swagger now going into a game like this because they've already won it. Like, hey, mm-hmm. this is just what we're doing again this year. I think you're going to see an attitude of Dabo that keeps his guys calm, doesn't get over emotional plays to you know what their ability is and if you think about what all those comebacks are in the fourth quarter that's all a matter of keeping your guys calm collected ready to win look at what Fuente did at when we played went to Notre Dame and we played Notre Dame keeping your guys calm and confident and being able to win is going to be key and I think Miami's going to be too emotional and I think Clemson is going to be this is just business as usual I mean, they're battle-tested. You know, they've been in two straight playoffs. They just won a national title. This is old They were in two thing. national championships. They lost one, right. and then they came back, and they beat the team that beat them. I mean. So I think we both like Clemson, but I'm, the way Miami plays to the moment and plays to opponent, it's going to be interesting. I, it's going to be a heck of a game. I really think it's going to be a great game. Good games this weekend. Really good games. Uh, even though we're not playing, there'll be plenty to watch. And then you got Army Navy, I guess, the weekend after that. We're going to do a short uh, podcast next week after the Bulls come out, after the final college football playoff rankings come out. Everyone gets their spot. Well, just to talk about the game and the final rankings, it'll be a short episode. And then we'll do a bowl preview later in December, depending on the game that we're in. As always, go to the website. You can stream every episode there. Check out the stats. Robbie's updating those after every game. And Josh's stats are now going back in the right direction. So that's a good thing. At 2DVT on Twitter, 2DVT at gmail.com if you need to send us anything, have any questions. And then subscribe on iTunes if you have a chance Take the time to register a review as well. I think I got it all. I think you got it all. And (laughs) also we've been getting, I think we've gotten five new reviews, which for us is a decent amount in like a couple months. So thank you for whoever's reviewing us because it's been kind and also insightful on things that we can do to improve. Yeah, we always appreciate that. Until next week when we're talking about what bowl we're going to go Hokies. <laughs>